0: Episode 73 of Fitness Behaviour of Bevan James Isles, an interview with Kyra Bubbinet. Righto, team welcome along to episode 73 of Fitness Behaviour of Bevan James Isles, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Now, you may hear in my voice today that I am struggling to talk, and uh, unfortunately for me, I like to talk, and it's always a bit of a battle when I struggle to talk. Uh, I'm not sick, it's nothing to do with sickness at all. Um, Unfortunately, when you teach group fitness, you're often yelling at people, and sometimes if you don't have very good microphone set up, it means you use your voice in ways that aren't that healthy for the throat. And uh, over the last few days, I've just taught a few classes, and yeah, it's 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 been a little bit demanding on my voice, so I'm, I'm sounding a little bit funny today. So today, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time talking before the main part of the show, and that's purely because I think... My voice is probably not going to be helping your ears that much so i'll kind of get into the, get this bit done pretty quickly and then get into an interview and today we've got an interview with dr mm. kyra bobinette uh kyra is a bit of a rock star to be honest I, i'm still on one of her websites right here and just looking at her kind of uh, her bio, for example, I'll just read it out to you. When it comes to health engagement, Dr. Bob Annette has five words of advice. Be caring, authentic, and useful. As the CEO founder of Engage In, a behavior design firm sprouted out of Stanford, Kyra has devoted her life to helping people crack their own code of how, what, and especially why we engage in things. Kyra has founded several healthcare startups, spanning behavior po- health, population health, and mobile health she has designed behavior change programs big data algorithms 1000000000 dollars products mobile health apps and evidence-based studies in mind body and metabolic medicine all of her designs whether for at-risk teens or seniors are rooted in the belief that true caring is our greatest value dr bobinette currently co-teaches courses at stanford school of medicine on patient engagement and empowerment and health design with Dr. Larry Chu, founder of Medical X. She also studies in Dr. B. J. Fogg's, a persuasive tech lab at Stanford, to whom she gives absolute credit as the founder of behaviour design. Dr. Bobinet received her Masters of Public Health at Harvard University, specializing in healthcare management, technology enabled behaviour change, and population health management. She received her medical degree from the UC. SF School of Medicine. When she's not geeking out on neuroscience literature, you can find her engaging in her kids' minimalist ego design and surfing. So as you can tell from that bio, today we're speaking with with a very, very intelligent woman who's, who's devoted her life to doing some very, very important work around change. And the really nice thing that I like about Kyra is, A, you're going to figure out pretty quickly that she's a very cool woman, but secondly, she's the academic who's also in the real world, and sometimes the problem of academics is that they they are very much caught in their own world, in that kind of university world, but they don't really have much real world experience, and Kaya is one of those person who has spent a lot of time in academia, but also has applied the principles that she's learned and studied and gained great understanding in in the real world, and, and helped create change for real people, and recently she's actually brought a book out, and I'm just going to pull up this little book here right now, um, Kyra, here we go, Kyra's, I'll go to her website, KyraBobinet.com. Well Designed Life, 10 Lessons in Brain Science and Design Thinking for a Mindful, Healthy and Purposeful Life, and I'm going to put a link to that on this week's show notes, so um, if you are wanting to get this book after listening to the interview, which I'm sure a few of you'll you can go to my website, bevanjameshiles.com, and they'll be up there. Anyway, before I put in the interview, I just want to talk about the patrons of the show. And I've just pulled up my little spreadsheet right here and to name a few of the patrons. And one of the names that uh, has been a patron of the show for a long time is Phoebe Sanders. And Phoebe is the Stark. And I'm actually, Phoebe, I'm going to be in London in a few weeks from now. Hopefully you've heard that. And I'm going to be meeting up for a run. So I know you're a UK-based listener, so if you want to kind of meet me at my run, I'll let you know. More about that on the next show, or oh, listen to my IM Talk podcast, guys. If you want to meet up in London, uh, we've got Michael Noak, he's the hammer. We've got Renee, the hawk, whores. We've got hardcore Michael O'Kane. We've got Samuel, a oh, mysterious man, Samuel Molino Weaver, and the explorer, Donald James. These guys are all patrons of the show. What that means is Every time I release a show, they just donate a little bit of money towards me doing what I'm doing. And if you enjoy the show and you want to support me in what I'm doing, you go to bevanjameshiles.com for the show notes for today's show. And it's really obvious. You click on the Patreon page and I'll take you through the process. And what happens is every time I release a show, you know, you'll just donate whatever you want to donate to the show. And it really makes a difference, team. It really does. So for those who are already patrons, and there are many more, um... Thank you for being patrons because you really make a big difference. Anyway, I'm going to get this interview up. Now, the good news is I know my voice is a bit screwed right now, but actually, I, I interviewed Kyra last week, so my voice sounds very normal in the main part of today's show. So here we are. Here is Kyra. Okay, well, I'm very happy to have on a show uh, Kyra. Bobanette on the show and she's got lots of letters after her name which always means she's highly intelligent and has done a lot of amazing work in her time and in an area that I'm always pretty fascinated with is this this kind of concept of behaviour change um, and uh, she also loves to talk about life design and lots of kind of great work in this area. So welcome on to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Bevan.
0: So I suppose let, let's kind of dig into your life a little bit. First of all, what made you interested in this area of kind of expertise?
1: Yeah, so I started out in medicine as a physician and you know, we aren't trained officially for this, but there's a lot of demand on changing patient behavior, getting people to do things that are best for them. And what I noticed over and over again was that, you know, we we really weren't good at it, A, and then B, people didn't do it. And so, you know, I went into public health trying to seek what is it that's, that is the skill set that I'm looking for that changes behavior? I had put a nonprofit together after medical school and really worked on behavior change of adolescence. And so I got really hooked on this question of, you know, why don't we do what we know we should do and how can we? And that really leads to sort of the behavioral science, the brain science, and the design thinking that I've discovered really makes the difference.
0: So I imagine as a, as a physician, you kind of you feel like you're the ambulance at the bottom of the hill, don't you? And so, so really, I suppose what you're saying is I was motivated by this concept of how do I actually stop there needing to be the ambulance?
1: That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's just not taught. It's not a match between what we expect doctors to do and what we train them to do because I think historically all we trained them to do was be emergency response people. You know, mm. And we haven't updated, especially as the global – you know uh, epidemic of chronic disease is spreading everywhere we don't have any answer you know as physicians to to intercept and help people with their behavior change so when you
0: started to kind of discover this desire to move down a different kind of direction with your energy what did you what were some of the things you first discovered because I imagine you probably went in with lots of keenness but maybe not much understanding
1: right I would say that you know my first attempt was as a medical student trying to change behavior of youth who were at risk who were repeatedly in trouble with the law and their issues were that they wanted to change but that they would get out of prison and then they wouldn't you know and so there was this you know failure 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 for you know a lot of years and really figuring out you know, why is this happening why do they intend 100% to not repeat any crime but then they end up going back in Mm -hmm. and so i find that that was the same with the patients it was the same with myself when i tried to change myself and it really to me was resident in how we think and a lot of the uh, behavioral psychology that's come out a lot of the neuroscience that's come out since then gives us the clues as to why that's going on for us
0: did did you ever get to the point where you're able to help those kids change because you're saying they had the desire but maybe not the skill set to help themselves change what were yeah. some of the things you picked up to help them achieve that?
1: Yeah, so I think a couple of things. One is that, you know, for folks who are especially plagued with shame around, you know, not being able to change the way that they hope to change, there's kind of a recipe that the youth taught me. One is that you have to have uh, the idea that I'm not a bad person, or someone has to say, look, you're not bad. This is not because you're bad, mm. you know, so reframing that. Uh, the second thing is, you know, you're not alone. This has happened to other people before. You're not the only one. You know, this is, this, is, this is a common human experience. And then the third one is there's a way out. You know, you, you, can, you can iterate your way out of this. You can, you can keep tweaking and trying and those kinds of things. The fact that you've failed one time, it does not mean game over for you. And so I think those three things were probably the, the most powerful teaching that I learned from these youth. And, and certainly by the time I was done and went back to grad school, uh, you know, we lowered recidivism from 87% baseline down to 25%. Wow. So we were able to really figure out on a one-to-one level what worked uh, to kind of un- unlock someone's potential and their, their willingness to try again.
0: What, what kind of timeframes would it take with those kids?
1: You know, it was just these critical moments, you know. Sometimes it's, it's when you get out of prison and there's no one there for you. Or your gang members are there for you and they suck you back in. And so it was a whole, you know, community, a, a whole, you know, group of people working together that really created a, a basket, if you will, or an alternative path for the youth to say, oh, that's real and it's weight bearing and it's people I trust and I don't have to go back to my gang.
0: Like I know we're probably going to go to a different path, but I'm kind of, I'm interested, yeah. you know, lots of people listen to us We parents um, and... And I know I get lots of contact from parents who are worried about their teenagers. Right. Uh, and I know you're probably dealing with a more extreme level of this problem, but you know, what would be some advice that you would give to parents in regards to some of this kind of thoughts or this kind of area?
1: Yeah, so I think you know, parents oftentimes struggle with young people who are uh, taking risks that are really dangerous, that are really scary for them. And the way that they deal with it is they treat the young person Like a little child, or or they get triggered, the parent gets triggered, and the parent starts acting like a teenager themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I found really critical was just being able to hold my energy as an adult, and that meant that I was um, a little bit detached from the outcome. Mm -hmm. That I was focused on the topic. I wouldn't let them drive me off to some other tangential topic. Uh, You know, if 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 it's clean your room. And they say, well, you don't clean your room. Well, then we're off topic, you know. Yeah. So those kinds of things and just not not engaging in those battles. And then the other thing is that I think too often adults speak down to teens. They don't have the language of, hey, I want you to get what you want. And coming from that place of what can I do to serve you and be of value to you, even if it's not giving you everything that you ask for exactly as you ask for it, giving, giving some, you know verbal uh, confirmation to the youth's needs and to the to the youth's wants and then i find that they're willing to listen to you because they're like well you know, you have my best interest at heart even a little bit and then i'll 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 listen to what you have to say
0: mm-hmm. and, and often their their behaviors aren't necessarily what they want it's a reaction to the fact they're not getting what they want isn't it
1: that's right and and it's i also think that risk taking is natural necessary and needed you know mm-hmm. th- that 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 pushing against and that rub is absolutely essential for proper development uh, in, in the youth. And so giving them a, a channel, a way to uh, take risks that isn't so deadly, that isn't so risky to, to their person, to their future. You know, getting them into sports is oftentimes a, a way to channel that energy. But if we don't think about that, they'll they'll take all kinds of strange and kooky risks on themselves.
0: Well, there's that kind of that thought nowadays that we have almost cotton wool, but by, uh, kids too much and that uh, that doesn't prepare them for their adult life if they've been too looked after along the way.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're, we're really at that level of the the spectrum at this point.
0: So, the, so then you obviously were inspired to continue on your path and go further into your study and you went back and, and studied. And what did you study your second time around?
1: Um, I studied uh, population health at, and health innovation and, and behavioral neuroscience uh, types of interventions at Harvard for my public health school there
0: pretty pretty full on time i imagine so so then what have been some of the insights that you know like if we take this kind of concept back to um behavior change you know because i know a lot of people who listen to this will have this desire to change in some aspect of their life it might be health it might be career it might be just even habits that they have in their own life right what are some of the things that we need to think about when we think about change
1: yeah, so uh, for one it's the sort of timing issue between what I call the fast brain and slow brain. So, you know, we find that uh, areas of the brain that are habitual are are made of white matter, you know, that they've been myelinated, which is kind of paving a highway. And so they they're much more likely it takes very little energy to actually repeat them, you know, because they're they're on autopilot and it's all the areas in which we're we're used to uh, going there. It includes how we act. You know, th- There's been brain scans of people who, if they're an angry person, if they're somebody who likes to explode at people and you scan their brains and then you provoke them, you actually see the anger creates a dopamine release, which is a reward chemical in that area of the brain so that being angry is actually rewarding for them. It's pleasurable on wow. some level. And yeah. so we're really wired like that. you know. And so th- those are our go-tos. That's our quick reactivity then there's our slow brain, the one that wants to change, the one that wants us to plan it out, follow follow our goals, uh, follow a strategy, You know, use willpower, all those things. But the problem, the rub lies in the fact that we have very little slow brain energy to spend every day and we have a ton of things on autopilot. 95% of our behavior is in this autopilot fast brain mode. And so I find that when people are trying to change their behavior, they don't realize uh, what this, this, this truism about the brain and how it works. And they end up either blaming themselves because they're using slow brain, which burns out by noon, or they're not designing for how the fast brain is just going to set up and, and, you know, take over what the second they lose attention, the second they get stressed, the second they're tired, you know, the fast brain is there to, to resume the old scripts. So if they understand what's going on between the fast and slow brain, I think it really helps them to tackle it in the proper way.
0: So so it's almost like I see I have these kind of highways that are already installed. I'm trying to create new ones, but when I go off, when that gets tiring, the highways are going to go back, and I need to that's be right. aware that that's happening.
1: That's right, and and that you're just on the the wrong highway, and no big deal. just go back to the other road and continue to uh, you know carve it out, and eventually that will be paved as well. But people don't realize, and they give up too soon. They're like, "Oh, I'm on the bad, I'm on the old bad highway," and they get disappointed, and they they feel like they failed. It's interesting
0: as you go back to what you're talking about with the teenagers. This kind of this concept of you're not bad, um, yeah. Self ownership of me being a bad person because I maintain these behaviors, and and it's kind of a similar thing that you're saying here, really, isn't it?
1: That's right, and and you know a, a similar concept that people should all know about is neuroplasticity, our, our brain's ability to change, but also what that looks like in real life is that you're going to have these two versions of yourself. You're going to flip flop back and forth, and we have no patience for hypocrisy. When we see hypocrisy in ourselves, we're like, oh bummer, you know, I'm I'm back to where I started, you know, n- nothing matters, you know, nothing. I didn't change anything. When in fact, you have now two copies of the same behavior you have the old one that you that you want to dial down you have the new one that you're building up and the youth just didn't know that you know it didn't it, it did matter that they tried it did matter that they tried even for one day they're putting a little you know coin in the bucket so to speak of that particular future that they could have and all they needed to do was keep depositing energy into that bucket instead of the old bucket and the balance will eventually tip
0: And that would be new. It's it's one thing as you're speaking, I find it really interesting. I deal with um, people. I try to get non exercises. Exercising is one of my my parts of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's massive change behavior. And and one Mm -hmm. thing I always find really just interesting is they'll get maybe halfway through a program and they're doing really well. And they'll have one bad day. And it just reinforces kind of your concept of the old highway. And yep. they almost become blind to the progress they've made. Like it's, it's so it. easy to attach to I'm just a failure instead of going, well, I have stuck at this for four weeks. You know, like it's, it's, it's almost like they work against themselves in a really high emotional state at that time.
1: Well, and I think one thing that you can do and that everybody can do um, is to warn them and say, you know, it's not a matter of if you will relapse, it's a matter of when. Oh, nice. And this is what it means in your brain. This is all it means in your brain. Instead of it being this catastrophe, it's like, oh, there it is, That that's me relapsing. All that means is I was tired, I was distracted, or I was stressed, and I went to my old way for just a second. But that has nothing to do with my ability to jump back to where I was at and resume what I was doing, because that's me also.
0: So I'm trying to create change. I'm, you know, aware of the change I want to make and I'm I'm trying to kind of create this new neuro pathway moving forward. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tools I want to implement in regards to actually being able to do that?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that works against people is the brain's unfortunate uh, feature of desensitizing to doing the same thing over and over again. Okay. So, you know, I think you know, one of the things we do in our design work is, you know, how to remember to remember, you know, how do you get your own attention, your own future self's attention and trigger yourself in a way that is new, that is novel. I mean, one of the great things is that you're doing is, you know, adding the social component, adding somebody, some other human being Who's always going to be an interesting trigger for you because they're not going to repeat themselves like you know having the same note up on your fridge is going to get boring you know mm. but another human being will always you know kind of tune into you and say hey are you doing okay or th- they'll modify the way that they trigger you mm. uh, so, so social triggers are one of the most enduring and powerful ways to continue the the progress that you've had over time and we see this with competitions with you know people training for a race or an event like that or people kind of having accountability groups together those mm-hmm. kinds of models really do work and and you know our our motto is every design is going to expire it just depends on when so even if you have your favorite training group you're at some point going to get tired of them or you're mm-hmm. going to need to change something up about that mm-hmm. so don't freak out just realize that that's coming and that you know when you see yourself being inconsistent with that group, maybe you don't go as often. Maybe you're you're drifting somewhere else. Just go with it. You know you might need to take a break. You might need a different group of people. You know you might need a different trainer. Those kinds of things.
0: Mm. It's interesting you talk about this because I know, like, um, I've worked at gyms and and often you see people who. It's just they're in the habit, but they're no longer progressing, if you know what I mean. And it's kind of what you're saying there, isn't it, is that as I'm trying to create change, I need to be aware of when the tools that I've used to this point are no longer effective and move Mm -hmm. towards new areas.
1: Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're talking about people who are are habitually exercising, but they're not getting a lot out of it. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just kind of in the habit of it. And
0: I'm sure they get something out of it. But what they got at the first part, which was probably really rewarding, has now lessened Mm -hmm. in its value.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think you know getting yourself to work hard is an interesting design challenge too. You know, I know for myself, as I entered you know the last five years, I had always been a runner. And then a couple of years ago, I pulled my hamstring off my sitting bone, um, you know twenty, thirty percent tear, but I couldn't run anymore. So so one of the things one of the things that we have to do is constantly update our self-image to our exercise plan. And what that means is, um, and I've talked to s- dozens of people who have this, you know, former basketball players, you know, I was an athlete, all those kinds of things. Those are little little images of, of who I think I am and where my comfort zone is. And so if you take that away from me, I have to have something else that I can, you know, almost like a hermit crab, I can crawl to my next shell and kind of inhabit that for a while and feel comfortable again. So for myself, I needed to, you know, take up cycling. I needed to do yoga, um, those kinds of things that really replaced the runner. I still miss running. I really do. <laughs> um, I wish. I mean, if I, my body would do it, I would do it tomorrow. Mm. I swear to you. Yeah. But you know, we have to we have to grow up and we have to mature and, and redesign ourselves all the time.
0: And, and what you're really talking about here is the change of identity as I shift along and not trying to hold on to yesterday's identity.
1: Right. Like deal with deal with what body you have right now, and then push that body in ways that are you know safe that are not going to injure. Uh, but that are exertional, you know, I think also as you get into your third, fourth decade of working out, so to speak, you're going to get lazy, you're, you're going to have trouble self-motivating yourself to be uh, really hurting yourself because it hurts, mm-hmm. you know, there's arthritis that kicks in, there's old injuries people have, especially if people who are athletes for a period of time, they're creaky and, and achy and things like that. So they have to figure out ways to put themselves in a position like a race or a class um, or a boot camp, or something like that, where somebody else or the environment is going to push them further than they would push themselves. Mm.
0: You, you you talk a lot about designing life. What what does it mean for you?
1: Yeah, so this is my favorite thing right now. Because okay. Nice. I I yeah, because you know, there's a lot of ideas about hacking, right? So Facebook, yeah, yeah. life and hacking and all, all that, that stuff like there. life hacking and yeah. that. I mean that's great, but it's messy. It's like taking just a big blunt object and whacking away at something until you crack it open. Very primate, you know. But I think the the beauty of being human and being, you know, kind of an upper thinking species is that we have the ability to apply art, creativity, um, elegance to our designs. You know, being able to really do something on purpose, um, intentionally, that is super smart and that is uh, you know, designed as a system, as an engine for change, that's our potential as humans. And so I, like, I really like this idea of designing your life right now because it means that you're fully doing everything you can do while still respecting that there's a larger world and universe and you know, things you can't control. But whatever is within your control, you are going to be completely attentive with the, the, the mindset of an artisan with it you know, and and not just leave it to chance. You know, so that's why I like that that terminology these days.
0: And you've recently brought out a, a book. Um uh, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so the book is really just kind of my my song about that. You know, the the well designed life, you know, ten lessons in brain science and design thinking. I think those two things in combination are to me a potent and necessary uh, base of knowledge to be able to change one's life. I think without the knowledge of how our minds work, people are going to make mistakes without the knowledge of how to design things and to think like a designer, that, that kind of mindset of process and iteration and continually tweaking and, and tinkering with something until it works, um, however you want to call that, that. That's what I call design thinking. Without those two things in combination, I don't think that behavior change is guaranteed and or perpetual
0: it's kind of that groundhog day analogy isn't it um that, <clears throat> that whole idea of you know you, you know live yeah. the, living the life figuring it out as you kind of till you get to that moment where you get it right
1: that's right that's right and 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 the opposite of that is the statement of you know do the same thing over and over again and that's the definition of insanity right um, so you know it is about moving uh, the experiment slightly every time so that you get a better result
0: When you think about people who are successful in this change and people who are unsuccessful, let's look at the unsuccessful people first. Why do you think they're unsuccessful?
1: I know why they're unsuccessful. Um, I've studied a lot of these folks and done a comparison between people who are good at this and people who are not good at this. So the people who are not good at this, they are uh, characterized by a couple of things. One is that they have what I call behavior fantasy. You know this sort of like I'm going to get up at five in the morning because I've never worked out before and I'm going to just start doing it every single day. You know, and they have no real- reality to their bases. That they they usually try to do something very heroic and then hurt themselves. Um, and then and then there's an area in the brain called the habenula, which counts failure. And once it once it goes off, it says don't do that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. don't try five a.m. anymore ever again. And then our motivation drops significantly. um, And that's what happens to those people. The other thing that they uh, do all together as a group is they're completely disorganized. So let's say they want to run an experiment. You know, does this workout work for me or does this meal plan work for me? They'll try this, then they'll add that, and then it's just so many moving pieces that, that nothing, no scientific conclusion can be made from it. You know, Nobody could make sense of the data. And so they're just all over the place and they just spin. And contrast that to people who are really good at this. They have a discipline around how they are learning what works for them. They'll move one variable and they'll study that variable and figure out, does that work? okay, if it doesn't, I'm going to work, I'm going to try a new hypothesis, a new experiment. And they're very disciplined about that. And they think like designers, they just continue to tinker and tweak in this very disciplined manner.
0: Mm. Yeah. When when we talk about designers, we are talking about life design here, the the way I live my life and the habits of my life. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, So the people who have been successful, how good are they maintaining it in the long term? Like once they find it, they find it?
1: Yeah, it's it's like they have this uh, engine, and they can put anything in the engine. You know, it can digest. Uh, you know, their taxes. They can do their taxes. They can do. They can lose weight. They can, you know, help their kids go through school. They can, you know, they just have this process orientation of how they approach life and the way in which they solve problems. That is very iterative. That's very, um, you know tinkering based, you know, and and this was, you know, Steve Jobs is, of course, very famous in in this area of California, and of course, the world. And, you know, recently was brought out that, you know, he wasn't so much a designer as he was a master at tweaking, you know, Mm. and so people who fall in that category can pretty much turn that skill on to any level of success any in any domain of their life.
0: Mm, I love that concept of how do you become a great person, not just great at one thing. And that's That's kind of what you're saying, isn't it?
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah what what are some other areas that people want to be aware of when we are thinking about change or behavior change
1: yeah i think one thing that really surprises people is just the the center of gravity that we all own around our self-image you know i talked about myself as a runner um and you know you've you've seen this probably with people who you said you you take people who don't exercise who have never exercised and then they start exercising Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happens in the prefrontal cortex, which is this area where we have the story of me, you know, so the story of Kyra, the story of Bevan, and we say, this is me, this is not me, you know, and it happens very instantly. Uh, It's what we use to shop for clothing or to try new things or those kinds of things. So when somebody starts to exercise and their historical me is a non-exerciser, they're going to have a little bit of an existential rub in, you know, anywhere from four to six weeks out when they start to see the results, they start to see that they are an athlete or that they are an exerciser and they kind of freak out and say, oh, wait a minute, that's not me. I'm not that, that you know, fit, healthy person, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the dumpy, you know, lazy person or whatever they told themselves. And so there's this almost bungee cord, you know, snapback that happens and, and they sabotage themselves to get back to that comfortable place of feeling like myself, you know they'd rather feel familiar than feel good, and that's mm. really kind of scary.
0: It's actually an interesting kind of statement, isn't it?
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, but it's, it's fun- what the brain prefers
0: because brain wants comfort
1: the brain wants to be the brain wants to know things we want we we really enjoy the feeling of knowing what's going on. And so when, I, when I'm taken outside of my comfort zone, when I'm taking outside of my typical experience of myself and my self-image, it's a very groundless feeling, much like people who have schizophrenia. They actually experience this nonstop, which is a very bad experience, you know, because nothing has any ground. But even in small increments of groundlessness that comes from exercising when I've never exercised, it freaks me out.
0: Well, it's funny as you were speaking that I was thinking about my runners, and you, well, I really experienced that in the real world because I have these again people who have self-identified as non-exercisers experience failure, reinforced failure, so all that stuff you've mm-hmm. talked about. And in the first, like we have a fight, an eight-week program, in the first five, six weeks, that they never. I'm still not a runner, and but you get this moment, and it's really fascinating when you see this moment where they actually switch over, and and yeah. you, like by the end of it, we have this kind of finishing seminar that we do and it's the, one thing that what I often hear is I love it that I when I drive past the park and I see other runners I think I'm one of them now yeah oh, I love that yeah it's just I a really I so love that yeah yes. and, and if you speak to them earlier on if you speak to them in like the particularly the first month they're really resistant to the idea that they could ever be a runner but then there is this moment and it's normally about five or six weeks into it as you were saying and then yeah then they start to see oh no I I could put myself in this box
1: that's right. Yeah,
0: it's That's really, right. It's fascinating, isn't
1: it? And and there's there's even um, you know some people have used rituals and ceremonies. You know, I use that. Or lightly, uh to really indoctrinate people into self-images, like different clubs and and whatnot. You know, even having some sort of you know forever card for you were always a runner from here forward. Mm-hmm. Having that declaration almost by someone like yourself, who's in, who's an expert, who they look to, uh, really cements that locks that in and really protects them from that um, relapse into oh I'm not a runner or the self doubt that comes maybe later on or maybe they. Finish the course and they don't come back, and then they they feel like they're oh, that was just a dream, you know.
0: So it's almost like a good leader gives them permission to own that.
1: That's right, that's right. It's it's a forever thing, you are forever in this club, and you can't be kicked out, mm. you know.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because I did Iron Man for years, and uh, and oh, wow. it, the Iron Man has their ownership, isn't it? Is it? that I've yeah. done an Iron Man, and that's why so many people get Iron Man tattoos, and
1: right, that
0: it's <laughs> you know, it, it's that real. I belong to this club that only so many people know.
1: That's right. That's right. And and that's the difference between outcome goals and and process goals. So process goals are kind of the usually the best fuel for motivation and and you know this iteration idea and that's what designers do. They they're like this is about the process. It's about me optimizing, tinkering, tweaking, putting out new versions, improving upon this model that I've started versus outcome goals at least you know we see people who say I want to lose 20 pounds that's an outcome goal okay if it's reversible it's going to be toxic because if i lose 20 pounds then i gain it back on then i'm i feel like a failure and i feel ashamed of myself but what you're talking about is perfect because you can have uh, you know like an accomplishment like a membership in a club or you you did a 5k or you did an ironman or whatever And you can never take that away from me. Same thing with a college education or those kinds of things. So that's a perfect use of outcome goals. If you can market for them and say, I officially call you a 5 k or Mm. something like that, Mm. then they have that identity that can never be taken away from them just like the Ironman.
0: on a personal level, do you have struggles with this yourself? And if so, you know, cause often, cause often I think, you know, I'm in a position and it's very much as you are where we get to try to help people. And I yeah. sometimes think that one of the downfalls of being in our position is everyone thinks we're perfect all the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think anybody's perfect all the time. And, and if anything, I think it's important to show our faults. Um, and so what are some of the struggles that you have with this?
1: Yeah, so, you know, so your first question is yes, because I'm a human being. <laughs> I struggle with this because we all have the same type of brain, you know, even though our, our individual, you know, way that we think or feel is signature to us. We all have human brains. And so we are going to have this problem. Mm-hmm. We're going to have the the fast brain, slow brain problem. We're going to have self-image problems, all that kind of stuff. Um, if I'm just going to be completely honest with you, you know, when I wrote the book, I infused it with stories of my own personal struggles, whether it's growing up in the Midwest. In the U.S. and you know, having been fed a lot of fast food and sort of my eating um, habits and things like that that were set from an early age, um, to you know my my own uh, emotional tendencies or my own um, you know struggles with various things. So I think my most recent one that I realized today, actually this morning, is I want to design for not being self conscious because I realized. All the ways in which that's kind of showing up in little tiny mounts. It's not obvious. It was subtle, but it's everywhere. And now that I see it, I see it in everything that I've done. And I want to figure out a way to design uh, a way out of that. And it has to do with really uh, not, you know, I'm, I'm super hyper aware and really not using that awareness to hurt myself and and doubt myself, you know, on so many levels. So yeah, I mean, that that's my current project. I'm totally, you know, check in with me whenever and I'll tell you what my most recent thing is because I feel like, you know, in order for me to have any weight to stand on in, in helping other people, I have to be active in my own process for my own growth and for my own honesty with myself and others um, because how else can people trust you as a leader, as as a person to look to uh, for any answers, unless you've eaten your own dog food, you know. Mm.
0: Good honest answer. Love your work. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> just with. I'm glad I, you asked, I'm really glad you asked that. Well, I just think I, I do
0: think it's important, and, and it's, it's interesting as you're saying this. Is like, um, I suppose the question that leads me to is that you know I think one thing that you've obviously learned, and, and I'm sure uh, many listening to this, is the, the value of actually committing the time to do the work. Um, you know that uh, one one thing I often say is what happens in life when you get busy and it's everything that good that's good for me gets put aside, and uh, and it's probably the wrong way to approach life in that we need to look after ourselves first even in our busiest times, um, and one of the downfalls is that people will read books but they don't do the work. You know, and it yeah. seems like, you know, like, so just so you guys know, Kai, I'm in, I'm in her bedroom today, basically, teams, because she's doing it <laughs> she's getting appraisals done on a house and she's got this whiteboard in her bedroom where it's, all this stuff's written on it. And so it's just really obvious you you're someone who has understood the value of putting aside time in my life to work on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people will hear ideas, but they never actually lay the foundation with the work. What would be your advice for that person?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a real danger. Um, you know, I don't know how it is in New Zealand, but I, I would feel like in, in America, our pace of life has accelerated at least twofold since the iPhone came out. Mm. And since everybody is of, on all the time and available all the time, and our brains are being stimulated by uh, electronics all the time. And so I was just thinking this morning, Bevan, that we really have, there's no substitute for slow brain time you have to have slow brain time to really have a plan and everything else you're just living like an animal you're living like a reactive animal if you're in fast brain mode all the time and all you're looking for is little time savers little tips and tricks little you know hacks little you know ways to get around you're just surviving you're not really making a difference you're not really freeing yourself from what it is that you're seeking. Mm. You, as you pointed out, you have to take even 10 minutes. I, I meditate every day. Even 10 minutes of your own, you know, looking at how your mind is working really helps to unpack what's happening with you and gives you insights that uh, really make a difference over time, you know. But but without that, you're just going to spin like, like the Groundhog Day thing. You're just going to keep going back to Groundhog Day and you're never going to get out. You're never going to get out.
0: With that, what would be your advice, or, or a tip, or just I suppose your advice for someone who's listening to this who hasn't created that? Because the thing is, you've done this so long, so you understand the value of it. So you've meditated, you've you've done the work on yourself, you've done your design work, and as you say, it's always evolving and tweaking. But I also understand you, you. I have a history of this, so I understand the value of it. So it's something I'm going to do forever. Whereas someone who's never done this before, who maybe hasn't put any time aside in their life to do some self reflection work and actually put time where they could put energy and and do some work what would be your advice to get them started
1: yeah i mean i think that you know there's a lot of secret uh people who have secret wishes that they wish they could get themselves to do this thing and in in my book we have i have a chapter dedicated to past self future self and the ability to design for your future self which is this whole uh question that you're asking um just as a shortcut you know People tend to do things either in the morning or at night, depending on their lifestyle. If they have little kids that wake up pre-dawn, they are not going to get anything done in Nothing the morning. <laughs> they they absolutely have to do – whatever they're going to do contemplative-wise, uh, planning-wise, they'll have to do it at night. Um, conversely, if – they have a job that goes late or keeps them late and just exhausts them and, and wears out all of their slow brain activity throughout the day. And then they go home at night and they just have vegetable, you know, they're, they're completely comatose. I mean. then, then morning, first thing in the morning, if they don't do it first thing in the morning, that th- they don't get to do it. They don't get to fit it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just figuring out for any new behavior, you have to figure out where it goes in the sequence of your day and what it's going to replace and if you can figure out those two things, then you'll be realistic about actually fitting it in somewhere.
0: Yeah, great work. Um, you just uh, tell us a little bit about your website. And you've also just started an online course, I see, and your book. And uh, tell me about anything else you want to share.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, our, our website is designyourbehavior.com. It's an easy way to remember to go. And we're we're doing this design club because I really want, like you, I want to help people to know about their brains and to know how to design for that and to stop making these common errors that I see over and over and over again. You know, the bulk of our work is working for very large, you know, healthcare, health and wellness companies, uh, national, international brands. So it was my way of, with the book and with the online course, bringing it down to the individual level and making this information available uh, and democratizing it, really, so that individual people could change their lives Uh, using this information.
0: Nice. Um, Anything else you want to kind of share before we kind of wrap things up here?
1: No, I'm just, I'm really inspired by your work and by the people who listen to you. I'm I'm glad that they're You guys are all together sharing information and that you're you're delivering this value. So thanks for letting me be a part of it.
0: Oh, no, thanks for coming on the show. You're doing really interesting work and obviously very important work. People want to follow you. I'll put all the links on on the website show notes this week, guys, anyway. So uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck with the house. (laughs) Yeah, thank uh, you. (laughs) And keep up the good work.
1: You too, you too. Thank you so much for having me. Oh.
0: Um, I've brought her back because she's so good. I have brought her back, team. Uh, I was just—we <laughs> were just talking about the course, her online course that she's just started right now, and uh, it sounds pretty interesting. So I thought, well, I'll push record and get you guys here to share that because she's probably better at talking about it than I am. So tell us about the online course that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so we've started a Design Club for Well Designed Life, and it's a four-week course, and each week we go through very core brain science you know, phenomenon or, or principles that then you apply to designing for your behavior. For example, in week one, we design for emotion and we, we map all the little hot spots or emotional triggers of, around the behavior that you're trying to change. So, you know, if you freak out because you can't drink coffee, we need to know that up front, otherwise you'll fail, you know. So, you know, each week is a new theme. The second week is fast brain, slow brain, which I talked about. The third week is um, past self, future self. And the fourth week is designing for relapse and recovery from relapse that we talked about in this conversation. Mm. So very excited. Um, This is our first class going through, but we've done this process with large companies uh, for a number of years. And so uh, we're just bringing this to the individual level and really excited about that.
0: And you're saying it's kind of targeted. So you go into it and you say, here's one area I want to really focus on for the next four weeks. And you try to really target that one area.
1: That's right. So what we want is for everyone to work on one behavior and change that one behavior in these four different iterations, one each week and learn new things and keep make it more, uh, develop it more. And then once you've done that, you know, in one cycle of four weeks, you can do that with any behavior yeah. for yourself or others from that point forward. Because it's
0: a transferable skill really,
1: isn't it? Right. That's yeah. right. Hey, right.
0: Well, once nice again, stuff. thank you. <laughs> You're a star. You. And it's awesome. Thank you so much. There you go, there's Kyra, thank you so much Dr. Kyra for uh, coming on today's show, I must have really enjoyed talking to her and she was someone um, just, you know, just had insight that I thought was really valuable and, and quite, obviously just a very successful person and I was really, I always just love sitting down and talking to people who are really successful and digging into that. Now admittedly I haven't had a chance to read her book because I'm finishing up another book right now which I'm really enjoying. Um... But her book is the next list, um, the next one to read on my list of books. So I'll probably have that read in the next couple of weeks. So I'll give you guys some feedback on the book. But I'm pretty sure it'll be pretty good. And I, again, I just like it because it her her way of thinking does come from research thinking and real world experience. And you could really see in this interview, she's a very passionate woman who has a real need and desire to help those around her and it has the kind of the oomph to back that as well so once again if you are interested in getting her book i'll put that on bevanjamesiles.com and the book is once again called well-designed life 10 lessons in brain science and design thinking for a mindful healthy and purposeful life so yeah, highly recommend maybe getting a hold of that. That is on Amazon. And as she was talking about the end of the interview, there is an online course. Now it's not one of those online courses that seems to be very much automated. You know, you have to join this one at certain times. So if, if you know, if listening to her and, and her course was something that you'd be interested in, you go to her website. And her website is drkaira.bobbynet.com, and they'll just have all the information about that on there. Before I wrap things up, there's just kind of one quick little story that I want to share with you guys. Um, based on an experience I had with one of my clients this week, one of my clients uh, has made some really great progress, and it's it's always great when you get help people make progress, and this person has, in the last 18 months of their life, have just made some really massive achievements, you know, kind of markers and achievements that you can look at, but fundamentally shifted their mindset to life. This person, you know, traditionally was lacked some confidence, never really backed themselves, was successful, and you could look at their life and being successful, but always felt like they never were, Um, so there were lots of kind of these mindset changes that needed to happen for this person, and uh, far out, this person has shifted so, so much, they're confident, They, they don't distrust themselves, they believe that they can make change now, so... It's, re- it's a real good example of if you're willing to put work into yourself, you're going to see some massive change. But one area this person has always been pretty good at is exercise, but but in a way that's kind of been a hit and miss experience. And that they got to a high level of exercise. So I, I'm pretty sure this person had done an Ironman, so they'd done an Ironman. You know, so to get to an Ironman level, you've got to be pretty pretty successful. But at the same time, they were kind of in and out of exercise because they had a really demanding career. And when we sat down at the beginning of our last session, we were kind of talking about this whole idea of where you're at, because I hadn't seen him for a while. And I said, where you're at in life? And he said, there's the kind of the physical and the mental. And we kind of, he said, the mental is where I want to do some work today because the physical, I'm actually really on top of things. And there was this, this really lovely moment where this person talked about their mindset towards exercise made them be really successful with exercise. And it was a classic example of somebody who, in the past, always needed a goal to make them exercise. It was that, I've got to have a goal, otherwise I'm not that motivated towards exercise. But at the same time, they often set their goals way too high, so there was a sense of disappointment because the, the plan that they created for themselves was almost a little bit unrealistic. So they did that thing of setting themselves up for failure. And, you know, through working together, we've really shifted their mindset around that. But he was talking about how recently he's just had this total shift towards exercise and really his his, his fundamental beliefs around exercise and that he just wants to enjoy exercise. And that really, for him, it's about health. And that for him, health comes a lot down to his eating patterns. And so for him, it was just around what what are the the ways that I need to live with my nutrition, that allows me to, to not use my exercise as a way to manage my weight. So he basically just shifted his mindset around nutrition and to say that if I live this way, I'm going to be much healthier and I sit in a much healthier weight range that I like to be in. But also, I can just enjoy exercise for what it is because it doesn't come with the requirement of me trying to lose weight. And it was a really interesting thing because it was, well, this person was somebody who was already exercising and and to be honest, was probably going to exercise for the rest of their life, but in a kind of yo-yo kind of way. But what was really interesting talking to this person in this conversation was that it was almost like they just found that formula, which meant they would consistently exercise for the rest of their life in a way that was a no-pressure way, in a way that could help them focus on, what they enjoyed most about exercise and nutrition. And so I just, there was just some real kind of value in seeing this person do this. And, and I, th- I suppose if I were to reflect upon what did they do well, where well, they kind of figured out the real thing. Now, this person isn't overweight by no means, but I think they said they'd lost four or five kgs in the last period of time just because they'd kind of actually figured out that the weight management was more about nutrition and looking at some of the rules and some of the ways that they were behaving with their nutrition and setting some good behaviour rules around that. And then when exercise came around, their mindset just goes, went to, what do I enjoy doing? And it's really interesting because it becomes such a sustainable way to live your life when you live like that. And, you know, that's that whole idea of, you know, they will all be able to maintain that forever. And I think there's just some real kind of valuable insight that maybe we could all learn from my client on that way. And that is, what are those healthy rules that I want to have around my nutrition that allows me to live life in a way that I enjoy, but stay within a health range that I really think is good for me? And then if I were to use exercise purely for enjoyment, what would that mean for me? Interesting question. Interesting insights if you've got any questions you can email me at bevinjames at gmail.com i will be back in two weeks from now i've got another show already pretty much lined up and i've already done my interview for a month from now as well so i am working i'm off to london in a couple weeks um and i am really working on trying to make this a weekly show post london so you guys will hear about that more at that time anyway my voice is about to stop so i need to get out of here you guys have a wonderful couple weeks and share the show facebook it tell your friends Rock and roll, guys. Thanks so much. And once again, thank you to the patrons. You guys have a wonderful couple of weeks, and I'll see you soon.